Welcome back to our podcast, which we call Busting Addiction and the Myths That Surround It. This podcast is sponsored by Safe House Rehab Thailand, where we offer clients a life-changing experience in the perfect environment for recovery. And it's closer than you think. Just visit safehouserehab.com to learn more. My name is Bruno J. And here's why I created this podcast. It's getting crazier and more deadly than we could have ever imagined just 10 years ago with opioids and now fentanyl, which is 100 times more potent than heroin. A while ago, I noticed that there was no podcast dedicated solely to talking to that one super important group without whom many addicts would never make it. And I realized then that I had the ammo to blow up some of these myths so that nothing but the truth survived. So if you love an addict or alcoholic and you feel like your loved one is sucking the oxygen out of your life, then this podcast is for you. If your loved one is driving you crazy and stealing your money, your peace of mind and your sanity, this podcast is for you. And if you're feeling rage and shame and your self-esteem has been flushed down the tubes, this podcast is for you too. We call this episode number nine, More About Enabling and Codependency. In this episode, I discuss the many forms of enabling and codependency and ask you to shine the light on your own denial and enabling if you have an active addict or alcoholic in the house. Enabling and codependency go hand in hand, in my opinion, with enabling as a subset of codependency. Well, now that we got the technical part of the topic out of the way, let's talk about all the different and quite subconscious ways that we enable our loved one, the addict or alcoholic, and sometimes they are both. By the way, in my book, Calling Someone an Addict Rules in Alcohol, while calling someone an alcoholic rules out drug abuse. But that's only if you know the truth, and they hardly ever tell you the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, even when they have their hands on the Bible. Undoubtedly, you've heard the saying, the road to hell is paved with good intentions. And what it means to me ordinarily is that without taking the right action, you end up with failure, because your intentions, although good, weren't enough to save you. The same saying applies to our actions, when it comes to the addict whom we love. Well-intended actions, such as helping the addict avoid the negative consequences of their addiction, actually allows the addict to keep using because that allows them to stay in a zone free of bad consequences and therefore devoid of any meaningful learning. Families inadvertently enable the addict to keep using with little restraint, but these actions are well-meaning and reality really, uh uh-oh, misguided. As I've stated before, and perhaps you are hearing this for the first time, addictive disease is having its way with your entire family without your knowledge or permission. The whole family has become sick without realizing it, which is why it's called a family disease by the experts in addiction. And denial is a sure characteristic of the disorder. Not only denial by the addict that she is an addict and that she needs help, but also family members that they are also seriously affected That is, they need help in coping with the effects of this disease. A little sidebar here which just occurred to me. (laughs) There are many addicts or alcoholics who will cruise on or near the bottom for years and years. and, and, And they'll say, yeah, I know I'm an addict, but who cares? There's no hope for me. Or I'm just fine, leave me alone. These, these people have lost everything, and they live on the street with another mental illness besides addiction. It's called dual diagnosis. These are the ones that just break our hearts. 
There's a group of volunteers in my hometown who go to the homeless camps under the freeways and just give away food and toiletries and try to coax the homeless into a shelter or, to, or into a public de detox. And even though they're in desperate shape, they won't go. When asked why not, some say, well, if they don't let me drink, then the hell with that, and you can come to your own conclusions with that one. They are a true enigma to the cops, to everyone else. I believe the cops, by the way, are the good guys, really good guys, and women, of course. But they are an enigma to them, to social workers, doctors, counselors. These cases, their stubborn refusal to accept help tells us that alcohol and our drugs are whatever they can get their hands on now runs their lives. Maybe we can have them kind of, can't have them come out of the urban wilderness, but we, all of us now, are or should be in the business of saving lives, at least making the lives of those who suffer a little less painful, a little less lonely. My heart goes out to all who suffer and all who help those who suffer. I was this close to being on the street myself, and I don't want to go back there except to help, believe me. There are many, many families who struggle not only with finding the right help for their beloved addict, they struggle more with getting their loved one to accept help, which is the real challenge, as many of you have experienced for yourselves. In some ways, the struggle isn't all that much different than what we encounter on the street. In some families, addiction has become a, li a life-and-death proposition. The hook is in so deep, there seems little hope of ever wriggling free. For these families, one hope is a professional intervention. But before you do that, you need to have everything set up in advance, including where you want your loved one to go into treatment, which is where an active addict should go if it's become time for an intervention into treatment. We at Safe House Rehab Thailand want your addict to get help, if not with us, at least at a qualified treatment facility somewhere. And please remember that we stand ready 24-7 to answer any, we mean any question you or your loved one have about addiction, about treatment options, and everything in between. We want to help you make an informed decision at this critical time in your family's life. Just contact us at info at safehouserehab.com or visit safehouserehab.com. And if you like, call the number that matches the country you're calling from. It's a local number and it's easy as that. Let us help you help your loved one. We offer a life-changing experience in the perfect environment for recovery. Professional care, great amenities, great weather, and even $1,000 U.S. toward airfare to make it closer than you think. So if you choose not to hire a professional to conduct an intervention, another option is to arrange for a family intervention. But that requires even more preparation and everyone being on exactly the same page going in and to be fully educated on what to expect from the intervened one, as well as what the role of each family member or anyone close to the still-using addict and alcoholic needs to be. There's a little secret, however, and that is that in most cases, despite all the denials that an addict will throw back at the family, there is one thing that gets them at least listening to the message. The addict cannot deny that the family loves him. This is one case where love or rather the proper expression of love, has everything to do with it. It opens the addict's heart just enough for the message to get through. That's why Jeff and Deborah J., no relation to me, title their excellent book on intervention, Love First. Start with your eyes open. That is, get educated and leave your old ideas behind and open your heart as well, which may be difficult at this point 
after so much damage has been done to the family. You start with love and you go from there. I think the concept of tough love is a cliche that isn't really useful because it in no way educates people on what that looks like and can be taken any way that an uninformed family wants to take it. Some may see it as permission to punish the quote wrongdoer or to straighten up and fly right and all that nonsense. That said, it does kind of point us in the right direction though. It says we love you and because we love you, here are consequences if you continue your addictive behavior and here is the option we need you to take right now which is why you need to be as prepared as your family has ever been prepared for anything. I would rather have you get crazy preparing versus get even crazier if it goes south. But here's the risk. There's nothing worse, in my humble opinion, than a bungled intervention. I mean, one that spirals out of control with blaming and shouting and hostility and bad feelings that can carry over like a bad hangover for years and years. The absolute last thing you need is for one of the addict's close relatives, even a dad or a mom, to unload on the unsuspecting addict and the whole thing blows up into an acrimonious bloodbath. Bridges will be burned and the addict might forever be suspicious of family motives and may simply walk out and cut off contact. You have lost the last best chance of him choosing the right path. I've seen this happen. It took years of the disease beating the addict to shreds before he saw the light, or rather felt the heat finally enough, where he checked himself in on his own, by the way. Not all families are that lucky. Not all families are doomed to this outcome either, of course. The thing to remember is that another old cliche that you sometimes hear, and, really, and I really, really despise this myth, is the following. An addict has to hit bottom before he's ready to accept help, and that's a load. If you believe this dumbass myth, then you will stand by and let the disease blow up your family like a terrorist suicide attack. The question really should be, what will it take to get them ready? Because even though you have no real control over the disease, in other words, there is no cure, you can affect how the addict deals with it. Let it keep progressing or change its trajectory so that you can help the arrest the disease in its tracks. So let's get back to the topic of enabling, which is where we started this discussion. Let's add denial to the concept since, it is, since it's a major ingredient to the concept of enabling, and here's how it works. Take your typical middle-class family, innocently believes that alcoholism can't happen here. It's unthinkable, not this family. We're proud of everyone in the family. Sure, we drink, but we watch our drinking so it doesn't get out of hand. Our boys drink beer when we watch football together. They're a bit young, but it's better to have them around so we keep, keep our eyes on them. So the parents and the boys start with this illusion, this myth of control. The rub is that although it may have started as a choice, the odds are that one in eight will become addicted and never, ever see it coming. Hey, I didn't wake up in college one day and decide to become addicted to marijuana and alcohol. So now this family of which I speak, this proud and seemingly healthy family, is beginning to realize that the younger boy is getting drunk all the time and they found some Mary Jane in his room. Mary Jane is not the name of his girlfriend. The kid is 19 and a freshman in a college in another town. It's a common problem, common situation. What happens is this. He totals his mom's new car while driving drunk and high, but isn't charged with a DWI, driving while well intoxicated or driving under the influence. 
The other driver isn't hurt, which, which while well, he, well, he, the driver, the kid, ends up in the ER with some minor scrapes. The parents give him the how could you shaming treatment about totaling mom's car, but they avoid mention or a lot of talk about his being incoherently drunk when they saw him in the ER and then he went home and slept it off. Very typical. The only thing they say to him about his drinking is, watch your drinking, next time you might get arrested. Wow, ooh, no consequences. Here is what I see. This is what this little alcoholic brain of his is thinking. How are they to know that the kid has been drinking his brains out for the last three years and is barely hanging on in college? So that's the deal. That's what happens. The parents are naively believing and enabling their son by shielding him from the consequences. Now, there are several reasons for this. One, they are not yet educated on the symptoms of the disease. They do not know the signs. They do not see that totaling a car while driving drunk is a huge red flag. Normal college kids, kids who are not problem drinkers or drug users, simply do not do that. Two, this is a typical case of exceptionalism. In other words, it can happen to other families, but it cannot happen to our family. No, no, not our family. Denial is starting to kick in. Three, there is shame involved. What would others, that is neighbors, friends, and the relatives, oh my gosh, the relatives for whom we put on our best front, they can't find out? They simply can't find out. Not only that the kids smashed up the car, well, they'll find out about that eventually, but that we may have an alcoholic or, God forbid, an addict in our family. Well, if we don't see it, don't admit it, deny it, then it doesn't exist, right? For secrecy is the one main ingredient of the addict's family. The secret wields, this secret wields immense power, a lot of energy kept in keeping that secret. That said, this incident has shocked mom and dad, and now they are ashamed, resentful, and afraid, while the kid is breathing a big sigh of relief. There are lots of ways that innocent people enable without realizing that they're actually helping the addict keep using without paying any price except for the cost of his drug of choice example. A wife calls work and says her husband is too sick to come in that day. This is very, very common. This is just the second time, she says, not really realizing that he now has an accomplice. Second idea, dad pays the tuition for the next semester, even though he knows his daughter is flunking and smoking dope every day. I was this dad back in the day. I even paid for her apartment and car and the insurance. Yes, I was taken in. Third one, mother pays her son's rent and has not yet landed a job and should be paying rent easily, but she thinks he has just had a run of bad luck. He's home doing speed is what's really happening at his house. Then there is enabling at the extreme end. These are things I heard in the Al-Anon rooms and witnessed for myself. Here's another scary thought as if you haven't heard enough scary things in this podcast. Did you know that on average families wait 11, yes, 11 years before reaching out for help. 11 years. That means some wait longer, some hardly wait at all. There's the story of a family providing money for the addict to buy drugs so long as he stayed in the apartment they were renting for him so he could, quote, be safe. And of course, they had no idea where he went at night. Then he started stealing from them when his drug allowance wasn't enough. Finally, they reached out for help years later, but only after his addiction had almost bankrupted mom and dad. Here's one I got to know personally. The young lady I shall call Kathy, who was just brilliant, holding down at the time a great job for a travel company, 
and she's a raging alcoholic. I got to know her when she came to the sober living house I was managing after she had completed 30 days of inpatient treatment. She gave her two kids to her parents to care for since her addict ex-husband was nowhere to be found and then just took off from the sober house and went God knows where. She came back, started drinking mouthwash, got involved with another guy at the house, a doctor with a crack addiction. They took off together, no contact with her two kids. Her parents then found her and got her into another 30-day treatment at Hazleton, which cost about $25,000 for 30 days at the time. Then they paid for an apartment for her while she, quote, got her act together. Talk about enabling. Her disease stole her parents' money and peace of mind and self-esteem, and they let it go on and on for fear of losing her entirely. Kathy's parents did what they could. Getting some, someone into treatment is not the same as enabling. It's raising the bottom. It's making continued using more difficult than going into treatment. When we all, including her family, her for, former counselor, and myself, finally intervened in Kathy's case, we told her how much we cared for her. And she knew enough about treatment that we offered her another chance at the sober living house to play by the rules, see her counselor twice a week, go to meetings three times a week, don't drink alcohol in any form, don't fool around with any other addicts or alcoholics for at least a year. And if she failed to comply, she would be out on the street, no money, no kids. Well, she made the right choice that day. I left my job at the sober living house and lost track of her, but she did make the right choice that day. And you know, not everybody does. I've seen them say, F you, and walk out. They display the defiance and denial so common among active drug users who don't want help. So what did we learn in this episode number nine? One, the road to hell is indeed paved with good intentions, which are well-meaning but misguided when it comes to addiction. Two, denial is a big part of enabling, since families will invariably deny that they suspect or have an addiction problem. Add shame and fear of being found out, and you have the perfect recipe for the disease to flourish. Secrecy is a main ingredient in this witch's brew. Three, intervention is when the addict is given a loving choice between the consequences of continued using and taking a step into recovery. Four, there's nothing worse than a bungled intervention, which may take years to recover from. Hire a professional, and whether you do or not, everyone be as ready as you possibly can. Everyone read the same intervention book. Five, finally, the big shocker. It takes an average of 11 years before a family reaches out for help. Don't wait to take action. Avoid years of pain and the heartache that comes with allowing the disease to have its way with you and your entire family. The Busting Addiction and the Myths That Surrounded podcast is brought to you by the caring professionals at Safe House Rehab Thailand, who offer clients a life-changing experience in the perfect environment for recovery. Just ask us any question, we mean any question, at info at safehouserehab.com, and we may use it on the air with your permission, of course, or visit us at safehouserehab.com. We want to help you make an informed decision for yourself and your loved one at this very important time in your family's life. So tune in next week for the next episode of Busting Addiction and the Myths That Travel With It. And we'll see you next time.